And so over the next few weeks, I want to talk about Lent, and I want to challenge us to stop and reflect and consider, because stopping and reflecting and considering has been something that much of our world and many of us have lost. I was reading this week a little bit of history, a little bit of sociology. Did you know that when Edison first created the light bulb in 1879, that the average American had 11 hours of sleep at that time? Sounds good. Sounds good, right? <laughs> Can you imagine that? 11 hours of sleep every night. Now, since the invention of the light bulb and that technology, the average American gets seven hours of sleep a night. Now, now, now think about that, right? That's, that's crazy. Sometimes, on a good night, right? On a good night. Nothing else to do. I was also reading that there was a subcommittee that was put together by the Senate in 1967 who were trying to project what technology would do to future generations in the way that the technology of the light bulb was changing our sleeping patterns. So 1967, right, we're just... Um, kind of a new dawn of technology, right, as computers were becoming more commonplace. And this committee that had been put together by the Senate of the United States predicted that by 1985, the average American, because of technology, would only work 22 hours a week and would only need to work for 27 weeks a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that it's a government organization, you know, calculating that, maybe, you know, take that into consideration. That's probably what they do work. Yeah, that's probably what they do work, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, they missed the mark significantly, right? Because uh, one other stat I found was that since 1979, which was almost 40 years ago, the average American has been working four more weeks a year, right? Now, again, a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there. We start a little bit earlier. We finish a little bit later. We skip a, you know, a day off. We work through the weekend. And since 1979, the average American is working an extra four weeks a year. That should concern us greatly. It should concern us about our health. It should concern us about our lifestyle. It could, should concern us about our relationships. It should concern us about a thousand things. But one of the things that I want to highlight today of why this is of great concern is because as our lives get busier and busier and fuller and fuller, we lose something absolutely crucial to what it means to be a human and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that means that we lose the ability to reflect. 
Technology has moved a lot, right, from the light bulb to the computer to the cell phone. And all of these technologies rob us of something that is vital to our being as children of God, our ability to reflect. I was talking with a fellow pastor um, the other day who was uh, actually um, entered into a relationship with a, a, a management coach. And this management coach said to this pastor, he's a pretty high-profile pastor, so he has a pretty big schedule, says, if you want to keep up the pace that you are doing, you need to spend less time studying and more time reflecting. Now, he wasn't saying that studying is not important, but he's saying that you're so, um, so disciplined at kind of gathering information that that information is kind of coming in and out of you because you're not reflecting on that information. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us have a hard time reflecting, right? It's one thing to find time to reflect, but then it's another when we do find time to learn to sit and be quiet and to figure out who we are and what we're doing and what we're about. So, so Lent is this call to reflect. Something that our society is hopeless at. Something that I know I am hopeless at. Yet something that is absolutely crucial if we're going to live fully and we're going to think about how we're going to live. I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 4. And this passage is about temptation. And it's about the temptation of Jesus. And every time we read this, we focus on the temptation. And what are some of those things that we, we have to not do so that we can sidestep temptation? And that's a, that's a good message. But I want to put it to you today that one of the best ways that we can avoid temptation is by stopping and reflecting on what we're doing and reflecting where Jesus is in the challenges so that we can sidestep the temptations that are before us, right? Now, reflecting on its own isn't going to cause us to avoid temptation because most temptations are bigger than us. And so we need to ask Jesus to give us the, the hope and the strength and the courage to avoid temptation. But if we're living in a world that is so busy that we're not stopping to reflect, then temptation can quickly knock us over. So Matthew chapter 4, first couple of verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is a fascinating start to the story, right? It says then. So when it says then, it says something has happened just beforehand. What had happened is that Jesus had just been baptized. Jesus was starting his earthly ministry. It was almost like his coronation, right? And he came up out of the waters of baptism, and the dove flies by, and the voice from heaven says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 
That's a great start to Jesus' ministry. If Jesus had a, a PR guy, the PR guy would have said, this is the perfect launching place. Right? These people have just seen this happen. They've seen the dove. They've heard the voice of God. Move on. Move forward. Plow ahead. This is a great start. But right after that moment where the Holy Spirit was very present baptizing Jesus, instead of sending Jesus on this speaking tour, the Holy Spirit takes Jesus out to the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. This great launch pad for his ministry, but instead of launching, he goes to the wilderness. Where nothing's going on, where it's a little bit dangerous, where it's very desolate. And so you have to ask the question, why is the Holy Spirit... Not launching Jesus from this moment. Why is he taking him to the wilderness? And I believe that one of the reasons is because the Holy Spirit knew that if Jesus was going to have any kind of ministry, the first thing he needed to do was to reflect. And to reflect on this incredible truth that he was God's son. That God was pleased with him. That God did love him, and God had great plans for him. You know, so many people just kind of launch into life without thinking, without reflecting. And if you don't know who you are, and you don't know where you're going, you don't know whose you are, then you can end up anywhere. Jesus had a very clear calling, and so the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And the Spirit not only led him into the wilderness, the Spirit led him to be tempted. You know, again, I don't, I don't know about you, but I spend so much of my life trying to avoid going into the wilderness. And I spend a whole lot of time trying to avoid being tempted. But here, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. Why? Because there's something that needs to happen to a person. In those difficult places when they're, they're faced with temptation that causes us to figure out who we are and what we're about. And again, unless we figure out who we are and what we're about, what we do could be terribly dangerous. And Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The, the, the word for devil, the name devil, literally translated means accuser. You, you know, one who prods and provokes. One who challenges and questions. And it's when we're challenged and when we're questioned that we're caused to reflect, right? Is this really who I am? Is this really what I'm about? Is this really what I want to be doing? While he was there, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end, he was hungry. He, he was saying, I'm, I'm going on this, this journey not because I'm interested in, in, in filling my, my belly. I'm interested because I want God to fill my soul. 
and everything around me, all the stuff, all the, the technology, all the conversations, that's a distraction to filling my soul. We, we learn in these first couple of verses a few principles about reflecting that I think are worth holding on to. First of all, let's let the Spirit lead us into times of reflection, right? And honestly, I promise you, the Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart when you're setting up your calendar. And He's saying, slow down a little bit. And the Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart when you come home and all you want to do is kind of veg on the couch in front of the TV. He's saying, don't turn it on. Let's, let's just sit and reflect a little bit. First thing that's helpful when we reflect is let the Spirit lead. Secondly, uh, you'll see that Jesus was in a quiet place, right? What well, wasn't a comfortable place, it was the wilderness, but in the wilderness there was no direction, no, no distractions. If we want to reflect, we have to turn off the notifications on our phone, right? We have to turn down the volume on life. We have to go to somewhere where we're not going to be distracted. T.S. Eliot, a long time ago, said that we live in a world where we're distracted from distraction by distraction. And we have to step away from that if we want to reflect. We're led by the Spirit. We find a quiet place. We learn to do without. You know, we live in this need, need, need. I, I, I want, want, want society. But reflecting says, I'm just going to press the pause button on that. I, I'm going to sacrifice some of the stuff I think I need so I can get what I, I really want. So Jesus is led by the Spirit into this time, into this season of reflection. I, I don't know where you go to reflect. I don't know if uh, you do it often. I know I don't do it often enough. Well, one of my favorite shows when the kids were little was Blue's Clues. You know that, that show? One of the things I love about that show, when they were all learning whatever they were learning from it, was I learned that the guy in the show, what's his name? Ben? Steve. 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 Joe? Oh, yeah. Two different guys. All right. Whatever the guy was, whoever it was, Steve or Joe, he had his thinking chair, right? And he would go and sit in his thinking chair, and he would consider, and he would reflect, right? So, so the first thing I want to encourage you as we start this season of Lent, and if we want to live this full life, if we want to avoid temptation, find a thinking chair where you can go and be led by the Spirit, where you can go and spend some time in quiet, where you can say, I don't need any of this stuff around me. I just want to be alone, God, with you and with my thoughts because I want you to speak into my thoughts. And so I got a thinking chair at home. And in the morning, in my devotional time, I'll go sit in the thinking chair as I'm, I'm reading the Word. But, but, but so often, inevitably, within a couple of minutes, I sit to reflect, but my mind goes somewhere else, right? You ever experienced that? And so what I want to share now from these next three instances are some questions to ask when we're reflecting so that we can let the work of reflection do its work. 
So this is the first story, verse 4. Verse 3, sorry. Then the tempter approached Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man should not live on bread alone, <coughs> excuse me, but on every, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. First thing to, to, to realize, right, as we're sitting in this thinking chair, that when the enemy shows up, the first thing that the enemy does is challenge our sense of identity. Jesus had just come from his baptism where he'd heard the voice of God speak into his life. And the first thing the enemy said is, if you are, if this is true, and he's sowing these, these seeds of doubt. And I think that if we want to reflect in a godly way, one of the first things we need to do is to stop and realize that when it comes to our identity in Christ, there is no if question. We are loved. We are adopted into his family. We are valued. We do matter to him. If you are the son of God, then, then turn these stones into bread. You know, I wonder if Jesus considered doing that. Because it said that he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And we know that Jesus uh, was able to multiply bread, right? Defeating the 5,000 that he did later on. He, he took a little bit of bread and he was able to multiply it. And if he could do that, then maybe he could multiply and change these, these stones into bread. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because even though he may have wanted some bread... He knew he needed something else. He, 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 he may have wanted to fill his stomach, but he needed to fill his soul by being faithful to God. And so I think within this verse lies the first question that we must ask as we stop and sit in our thinking chair and reflect. Is that which I am reflecting on something that I want or something that I need? Is this something that's going to make me feel good about myself, that's going to promote me? Is it something I want or is it something I need? Again, part of our culture's sin is that we have become panting dogs for things we want. Even if those things that we want are detrimental to us. It's not to say it's wrong to want things. But so easily we get caught up in this addiction of want. And that addiction of want never satisfies. It always leaves us empty. It always leads to more emptiness. 
One of the things that we have to ask ourselves when we stop and reflect is, is this something I want in my life or is this something I need in my life? And it's just something we want. We have to reflect even more and ask deeper questions about what that's going to do to us. Jesus said, man could not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am sure Jesus wanted some bread, but he knew that he needed the word of God. When we reflect, the first question to ask is, is this something I need or is this just something I want? It's interesting as well and worth noting that what Jesus wanted was the Word of God. He wanted communion with his Father. He he wanted to understand the the heart of God as he tried to live out the, the purposes and the mission of God. That's what we need, and often that stuff that we want stands opposed to that, right? As we reflect, the first question from this first temptation is, is this something I want or something I need? Let me tell you, if we ask that question, our schedules would be a whole lot lighter, our budgets would be a whole lot bigger, and our heart would be a whole lot fuller. Is this something I want? Or is it something I need? Second question, verse 5. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He, God, will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told them, It is also written, Do not put your do not test the Lord your God. Se- second question to reflect on. Is what's before me, is the decision I need to make? Something that I am testing God on? Or is it something that I need to trust God on? First question, is this something I want or I need? Second question, is this a way of me testing God? Or is it a way of me trusting God? And there is all the difference in the world between us testing God and trusting God. So this is the story. The enemy takes um, Jesus to the top of the temple. And Jesus could look down over Jerusalem. And he saw all the conversations, all the people, all the activities. He probably saw Golgotha and the place of the skull. And he, he, he looked down and the temple was on a hill. And at the bottom of the hill, there were these kind of big ravines, right? So, so, so to jump off, that was a big jump. That would have been a test of God. But to that test, Jesus says, I'm not going to test God. I'm going to choose to trust God. The, The enemy here is using Scripture against Jesus. Isn't that interesting? 
And he's not wrong in using the scripture. He's wrong in the context of the scripture. I think it should make all of us a little bit nervous that if the enemy can use scripture, we have to be very, very careful about how we use it as well. We we need to make sure we're sharing it in the right context, in the right purpose, with the right motive, wrapped up in love. He says, if you jump, God says the angels will catch you. I have no doubt that if Jesus had jumped, the angels would have caught him. But that wasn't the point. Because the point was a reminder for Jesus in his times of reflection that his life and our life aren't about testing God, they're about trusting God. When we test God, what we're actually saying is that I'm the center of that equation. We're actually kind of getting into a power struggle with God when we say, hey, I'm going to test you. When we say, I'm going to test God, it puts us at the center of the equation. But when we say, God, I'm going to trust you, that puts him in charge. That puts us in our rightful place of submitting to him. There is only one time in scripture where God says, test me. It's in relation to our finances and to the tithe in Malachi. But there are thousands of times in scripture where God says, trust me, trust me, trust me. And so I would encourage you that as you stop and reflect and sit in your thinking chair, not only do we say, is this something I want or something I need, but say, is this decision something that I'm using in some way to test God so I can prove something to myself, or is this situation before me an opportunity to trust? As people of God, we should be defined by our ability and our desire to trust God. To say, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to trust. I don't know a way through this, but I'm going to trust. You know, I confess so so often, it's one of those sinful prayers that I pray, and some would say that praying a sinful prayer is kind of an oxymoron because any prayer is good, right? Right? But sometimes I'll pray, Lord, would you do this so that this can happen or this can happen? And I realize that my prayers aren't trusting God. They're actually testing God. If we're continually testing God, then we're in a misaligned relationship with him. We go to the thinking chair. We've got to spend time reflecting on what's before us. Is this a want? Is this a need? Is this something that I'm testing God in? Or is this something I'm trusting God in? Finally, there's a, a third temptation. It starts off by saying again. You know why it says again? Because the enemy never stops. We are constantly been picked at and nudged and challenged by the enemy. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
Now, again, I'm not quite sure how this works. I mean, I can believe that they went to a mountain physically, but I mean, that would have to be a pretty high mountain if you could see all the splendors of the world, right? So maybe this kind of happened in a different realm. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's like Sauron at Epcot. Has anyone been on Sauron? You know where you go on a little thing and you just kind of like go around the world in two minutes and you smell everything and you feel everything and you look at the world and you go, wow, that's really splendid. So, so somehow this, this happens. And they're on the ride right at the top, maybe looking at some of the most splendid parts of all the splendor. And the enemy says... I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And in this statement, the enemy gave himself away for two reasons. One, he's showing Jesus things that Jesus watched being created, right? The fact that these things are splendid is no surprise to Jesus. So, so you have this picture of the enemy, right? Just kind of uh, showing off all this stuff to Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I, I was involved in that. <laughs> but the second way that the enemy reveals himself is that he starts to expose his heart. And he exposes the very heart that got him kicked out of heaven in the first place. And it was all wrapped up in his pride. Because the enemy said, I want you to follow me. I want you to submit to me. I want to be in charge. I want to be big and bold and, and loud and proud. And Jesus, I'll give you all this. If only you will just let me be in charge. If you will fall down and worship me. At this point, Jesus is done. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan. <laughs> not playing, not getting involved. Go away. Why, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This third question to ask when we're sitting in the thinking chair is, is what I am considering, contemplating doing going to build up my pride or is it going to increase my humility? That's the tension there, right? The enemy says, you need to bow down to me because that's going to build up my power and my authority. And Jesus says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. It says, serve underneath the Lord your God. Put yourself in the lesser place, in the place of humility. Again, when we choose to not reflect, our default tends to be to do things that build our pride, right? But the way of Jesus, the way of reflection, says don't spend time nurturing your ego. Spend time worshiping and serving and humbling yourself before God and one another because the way of humility is the way of Jesus. Verse 11, 
Then the devil left him. Because Jesus still had authority, and when Jesus said go, the enemy had to go. And it said the angels came, and they began to serve him. We live in a society that is so busy, that is so fast, where we've forgotten how to sleep, we fill our spare moments with something, and we've neglected this important discipline of reflection. And so led by the Spirit, we go to a quiet place, and we turn out the distractions, and we think... And we think about who we are and what we want to do and the decisions we have to make. And we think about the right things to say and the right ways to respond. And as we're sitting in our thinking chair, as we're reflecting, we hold everything up to this filter. Is this something I want? Or something I need? Is this an opportunity to test that will make me feel better about myself? Or is this an opportunity to trust? Is this something that is going to increase my pride? Or increase my humility? As followers of Jesus, we must learn to reflect again. And so as we close, there are a couple of ways that we're going to reflect. First of all, I want to challenge you to reflect in your mind. I'm going to share with you a question and some sub-questions. We're going to take just a couple of minutes just to stop, maybe for the first time in a long time, and reflect. And then secondly, once we've completed that exercise, we're going to share Holy Communion together and we're going to reflect in our heart about all that Jesus has done and won for us. So let me pray. And then we'll just spend a couple of moments reflecting the questions on the screen, I think, in your bulletin. And then we'll reflect as we share communion. <clears throat> Lord, forgive us that the pace of our life is so fast that we sacrifice sleep and rest and health and relationships and godliness for things that don't ultimately matter. Help us to be men and women who, especially during this season of Lent, take some time to reflect in your word, on your word, with you and for you, but in ways that meet our needs and in ways that affirm our trust, 
and in ways that make us more humble. And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just a couple of minutes. First question, what decisions are before you that you need to reflect on? Then taking that decision, is that about wanting or needing, testing or trusting, or humility and pride?